As we continue with chapter 7 in the letter to Romans, to the Christian Romans, we're going to start today talking about a struggle, a struggle that we all face, understanding that the struggle is real. And so we're talking about struggles and battles and all that. What an appropriate occasion today to actually remember those who are giving their lives defending the freedom that we enjoy in this country. Let me ask you, if you are a veteran or a relative of somebody who is a veteran, can you just stand for a moment? Can you stand? Can you join me applauding, thanking them for the service that you are doing for all of us? Thank you. This is a small recognition to you and your families as well but it's a reminder that we are in a constant battle, in a battle that we are just fighting because God is giving us the strength to do it. But what a blessing is to enjoy the freedom that we have in this country, that we can open the Bibles, that we can learn from one another, knowing that there is people like you serving. So thank you so much for what you do. Have you ever seen um, somebody who is just enjoying a walk in the park with his dog, and the dog fighting with that leash, fighting with his owner, trying to go in one direction, chasing that squirrel, and the owner trying to pull it and walking slow by. I mean, I've seen that on many occasions. I live in a, in a community in a, that we have a park close by, and every time that my son and I were riding bicycles, somebody's walking the dog. And we need to be careful because at that moment, sometimes the dog is so strong that it's pulling the person who is holding the leash, trying to chase us. Every time that I think in that image, when I think about a dog full of energy and curiosity, longing forward to chase everything that's excited for him, pulling from that leash, I think about my own spiritual journey. Because in my life, there is a struggle so familiar for me, so familiar for many of you. Because we as believers, we want to do exactly what God is asking us to do in his word. But at the same time, we are struggling because there is also a nature, a sinful nature within us fighting to do what normally that nature will do. On one side, we had that human nature, the flesh, leading us toward the inner desires and tendencies. And the other side, there is a pathway that God is open for us, wish, wishing for us to obey, calling us to live a righteous life, following his laws. So we had God's law, which God's law is good, is perfect, but at the same time, our inability to fulfill that, God, that law is the internal battle that we're facing. This battle is not just about resisting temptation, but sticking into our resolutions. We are coming to an end of another year. We are going to start again making resolutions for the new year. What happened with the ones that you made at the beginning of this one? What happened with that intention about losing some weight? I, I tried. Actually, I went. Whatever you try to lose, I win it. <laughs> I was just doing a service to you. 
But something is happening. Those promises that we made to ourselves, those promises that we made to God, we want to study the Bible more. We're going to start doing something different. We're going to do more charity. All those desires are good intentions and necessary for us to walk in that spiritual walk that the Lord had said before us. But something happened. Something happened along the ways. And that is the nature that we have inside us, that pulling us in a different direction, not doing exactly what we would like to do now as we're believers that we are, but actually doing the opposite, what we used to do when we didn't know Christ. That internal battle is what Paul is referring to. In this, one of the most difficult passages in the entire letter to Romans that we're going to try to delve today and understand it. So this is a great illustration of why Peter was saying this about Paul. Sometimes Paul say things that I don't get. Believe me, I spent two weeks trying to understand what Paul is trying to explain here. I call this like a twisted tongue, was in Spanish, because he's saying things. It's really interesting. So are we going to delve into these studies in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, it's important that I mention to you that this is a very difficult chapter. But remember, this is a letter. There were no chapters. There were not verses in Paul's letter. It was just one letter. But to our knowledge and for us to have a common understanding, chapter 7 is difficult. But it's a good news because it's presenting us what is coming next in chapter 8. In chapter 6, we were understanding that we were dead to sin. Now, Paul is saying that we also are dead to the law. So we can understand that we only can live through the Holy Spirit from Christ that enables us to live the way that he wants. It's so interesting that in this chapter, you counted. The personal pronoun I appears no less than 30 times. And the Holy Spirit appears only one. But in chapter 8, there will be more than 20 times that you will see the Holy Spirit. And just one or two when it says I. So chapter 7 is telling us that trying to fulfill the law in our own strength is useless. But then in chapter 8, is, is useless because we only can fulfill the law thanks to Christ who fulfilled it all for all of us. So as you open your Bibles in Romans chapter 7, let me explain to you what is the main idea. Because we are no longer just fighting against the strict set of rules. Rules that sometimes are self-imposed. Rules are put in our minds, whatever we can do in order to obey him. And like that dog that is fighting against the owner, sometimes this is what we do, fighting against each other. So Paul is telling us here that the, that the struggle is real. But let me tell you something. The main idea of this sermon is, yes, the struggle is real, but so is our Savior. 
And that's the promise. This is the, 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 the idea that we, I want you to think and reflect from this moment on until we finish this study this morning because this is exactly what Paul is trying to tell us. So we all open the Bibles. Let's, let's understand three themes that we're going to be talking about this morning. The first one is that the, the situation that we face is confronting ourselves with our human nature. The second theme is the struggle that we fight is our ongoing battle with sin, the sin that is in us, that is never going to be dead, is going to be asleep, but it's going to be there until Jesus Christ calls us home with him. And the third theme is the solution we find. And that solution, brothers and sisters, my friends, is only in Jesus, what he was able to accomplish in the cross for all of us. So, as we delve into this study, let me read it for you. And I'm going to read it in the translation of the New Living Translation. Just listen. Just listen. And then I'm going to use the New American Standard to go through the study. But for a moment, just listen. If you want to close your eyes for a moment and open your ears... Try to understand what he is trying to say. You got a challenge this morning. Not only trying to understand what Paul is saying, but trying to understand it with somebody who is using these words with an accent. So, don't go to sleep. Listen. Romans 7, 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law that is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law. I love it with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave 
to sin. This is the word of God. So there is a situation that we're facing and Paul is telling us. We need to understand what is our sinful nature. We need to understand that nature. He begins by telling us something important. He says, verse 14, for we know, and this is something that you and I know as believers, we know that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. Why? One, because it's coming from God and God is the spirit. Secondly, because the law of the Lord, according to David in his Psalm 119, is perfect. It has power. It's good. It's enough. It's coming from God. And that's the problem. The law is good. The law is spiritual. But I, I am not. And then he uses the term, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. The term of flesh, taken from the Greek word sarkikos, look at this, is the word fleshy, is the word carnal. This is a vivid image of our sinful nature. So Paul is talking about here, not necessarily as someone who once he was an unbeliever. He's talking about in reference to what happened in his past life. But now he's speaking about himself in this new life as a believer in Christ that is still with two natures inside. It's like two big dogs trying to fight. The dog that wins the fight is the one that is being fed more constantly. That's the two natures in our lives. We have a spiritual nature that we receive thanks to our faith in Christ, but we still have that sinful nature that we were born with because we were born sinners, and then we choose to be sinners. By birth and by choice, we are all sinners. That's what we have been studying in the previous chapters. But Paul is telling us now that is a problem because the old nature is still there. So until the time that we are with God, we are going to continue having this struggle with these two natures. It's an ongoing struggle. That's why he's using the expression saying, I am sold into bondage to sin. Not referring to his present state, but rather his past condition. Paul is not talking about his position in Christ, but his condition as a person who is still a sinner, regenerated by the Spirit of God. But this struggle against sin remains a daily reality for all believers. And he is speaking about himself, but at the same time, he's speaking about all the believers all the time. And that includes you and me. Now we understand why. We want to do God's will, but we ended up doing what we want to do. Or our sinful nature wants to do. This is the struggle against the love of God. This struggle against sin highlights the ongoing internal conflict between the spiritual aspirations and our human nature prone to sin. This actually leads us to a very significant point. Because Paul's internal conflict is not unique to him. 
That includes every believer in history. So conversion marks a change from serving in sin to facing an internal battle. The Holy Spirit within us strives for righteousness. They wanna, he wants to do what is great, what is right, what is pleasing to God. But our old nature, still influenced by fleshly desires, often fails to align with the law. And that is the condition that we are facing. Let me show you a, a few practical applications that Paul is trying to explain to these believers. And he mentioned the same concepts to other believers in different churches. Like, for instance, the church, the church in Corinth. In the first letter, he mentioned that to him in 1 Corinthians 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ. Babes in Christ. For you are yet carnal, for there is a strife of envy and division among you. Because you are carnal and behaving like very men. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am from Apollos, aren't you carnal by just saying that? So Paul is telling us that as believers, when we became believers for the first time, we are like babies. We are like infants, spiritually speaking. We need help. We need someone who can show us the way. And at that moment, it's appropriate that we rely on somebody else to help us to grow. But at some point, we need to show evidence that we are growing. My son Asher is six years old. We are facing changes in his life, not only because of his medical conditions and the situation that he has been facing, but sometimes he is facing the normal things that a six-year-old. If it's him and mom, he eats by himself. If I am present, I have to feed him. Because <laughs> I'm not, not only his father, I'm his slave. I'm sorry, I'm his servant. And that's the conclusion that I get from this chapter, actually. Just kidding. No, what I'm trying to explain to him is, at some point, in two months, you're going to turn seven. And someone like seven cannot be considered a baby. So you need to grow up. You need to eat by yourself. You need to change by yourself. You need to go to the bath by yourself. And he does it when I am not there. <laughs> but he knows me. And he's, he knows exactly what is my soft spot is so that is giving me a great idea of what Paul is saying here he's talking about Christians who are supposed to be already matures but they decided to continue being fed by others and he's telling them I'm not treating you as someone who is mature I'm treating you as somebody who still is a baby still drinking milk and you got feed you're supposed to be biting meat so please grow up that's a summary of this verse. For you are yet carnal. You are just going through the motions. You are just being captivated by sensationals, sensational things. You are just jealous. You are just fighting for things that you want to do your way. That's what an immature person, that's what a carnal Christian behaves. Such believers pursue spiritual experiences. 
Experiencias religiosas, we say in Spanish. They want what is the next best thing. If it's a holy laughter, is it the holy host, is it the whatever. They just want to experience something. They want to go to church on a Sunday morning or whatever, and they want to feel something. If they don't feel something, say, God is not here. The Holy Spirit is not here. The worship service this morning was not led by the Spirit. That's how they feel. Because they are looking for experiences. They are not mature enough. They are carnal Christians. Spiritual experiences that may frequently change. And if the experiences don't change, then they change churches. They go to a different church, and a different church, and a different church, so they can find that experience that they are looking for. This approach leads to superficial faith. You know, imagine you're taking the seed from one soil to a different soil to a different soil. It's never going to grow. And that's what happened with many of these immature believers that Paul is referring here. This superficiality extends to their engagement with the scriptures. The believers may find the Bible boring and they want to do something. It's interesting that in this country, we have different ways of how to study the Bible. The first time that I went to Cuba, and uh, we were carrying a few Bibles with us, I was amazed to see people, young people, reading a Bible with no pictures, just the words. And they were fascinated. I was carrying with me one of those study Bibles back in the day when there were no study Bibles in the island. And they were fascinated. They actually wanted to touch my Bible, wanted to read it. How is it that there has a commentary here? In this country, we got, I don't know how many different translations of the Bible. I don't know how many versions of the Bible. I mean, easily, I have in my office, and you can take a look at it, probably more than 30 different types of versions of the Bible in different colors that didn't match my shoes. All kinds, with pictures, with no pictures. You want the Bible in audio, you got a, an application who actually can read it for you. But still, for many believers, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, studying the Bible is boring. Then they come up with TV shows, you know, like the ones that you like to watch. And you are angry because that TV show, that movie is not exactly what the scripture says. What can you expect? Hollywood doesn't read the Bible. He imagined what the Bible says. You are the one who needs to be committed to read the Bible. But many believers, the Bible is boring. The only spiritual food that they're going to enjoy is the 45 minutes that they're going to listen on a Sunday morning, and that's it. Can you imagine just eating one meal during the entire week? What would you do physically? Well, maybe you lose some weight. But maybe you're not going to be alive by the end of the week. You're going to be dying of hunger. That's what happened spiritually with many immature believers. They expect for others to read it. They expect for others to understand it. And that's okay when it's the normal pace in our lives. But we need to grow up. We need to learn. We need to mature. Paul observes that such spiritual immaturity can lead to division and envy within the church. These believers may align themselves. They are looking for people who think like them. You don't believe me? 
You see in this country how polarized are the Christian church, the evangelical church? Before, we were having divisions between denominations. But right now, even in the same family of believers, we got those who are from the right and those who are from the left. Nothing has to do with the Bible. It has to do with my personal preference. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. You say, I'm from Paul, Apollos. I am from Paul. I am from Peter. And some others who are more spiritual say, I am from Christ. But all of you are wrong. But you are for one another. You are dependent on the Lord for everything. You are fighting just because you want your opinion to be here. Your ideas to be used. And that is showing the maturity that is in your life. Additionally, in their lack of deep understanding and application of the Bible, these believers were vulnerable. They were being led astray. Do you know why the prosperity gospel is so popular? Because many of the people who are fascinated with what they hear for these televangelists that they hear on TV is because they believe in whatever they say because they don't read the scriptures. One of those guys might be on TV says, God told me that I need $54 million to buy me a jet. So please donate for this cause because I can fly in a commercial plane with a bunch of demons. I'm quoting literally. Can you imagine referring disdainfully to fellow passengers as demons? Do you know? The problem is not these kind of people. I know the Lord will take care of them. The problem is those who are listening. The problem is are those who are taking their credit cards and their checkbooks and give them money that he needs for buying that jet. That's the problem. Why? Because these people prefer that instead of getting the scriptures and read it and understand it so they cannot be led astray. And I understand what is the success of many of the churches who are growing rapidly in this country and all over America. Because they create programs, they create plans, they create ideas that appeals to the immature believers. So they can be in drops going through the churches and through their seminaries and through their schools and through their functions. Because they're only going to tell them what they want to hear. Not necessarily what God wants them to hear. Because they're immature. And they're immature because they choose to be immature because they don't want to grow up. So Paul is calling us to maturity. In Ephesians 4.14, he says, Don't be like children tossed here and there by waves and carry about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. This analogy of growing from a childish habit underscores the natural progression expected in a believer's life. What are you? In what condition? Are you still an infant? Are you a child? Are you a teenager? Are you uh, an adult, spiritually speaking? Whatever you are, you just need to grow up and continue. If you say, I'm already an adult, you know what? In the physical life, being an adult spiritually is the only way that applies when you become an adult. But in the spiritual life, that is not a moving from a young person to an adult is a moved from a young person to a parent, spiritually speaking. 
The only way that you show you're maturing is when you are reproducing yourselves in other believers. That's when you see that you are entering into maturity. Not when you know more about the Bible. It's when the Bible can be shown more through you than what you say. So we got this situation. Number two, we got the struggle that we fight. In verse 15 to 23, we read this about the paradox. We read about this struggle between the sinful nature and the desire to live in alignment with God's law. Verse 15 says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but what I'm doing, the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing that the law is good. It's eternal struggle. This dilemma underscores the reality that even the most devout believers who consciously choose and long for adherence to the divine love find themselves incapable of fully living up to the standards of his own. And Paul is saying, I am struggling. I want to please God. But my old self doesn't allow me to. Paul's personal struggle mirrors our own. Even the desire to do good, we frequently succumb to sin. Oscar Wilde says that I can't resist, resist anything except temptation. And I can identify what he's, what he's saying. I can resist anything except temptation. I like baseball. I remember reading a lot about the Dodgers. We used to be a big Dodgers fan because the Dodgers have a one guy from my hometown, El Toro Valenzuela, remember? <laughs> uh, and I remember reading about Tommy Lasorda. He's an interesting character. This guy was trying to get rid of old habits. One time, he was trying to use his willpower, and he was saying when he had a, a cigar in his hand saying, cigar, who is more strong, you or me? And he said, I am more strong, so I'll quit smoking. He got a, a whiskey glass, and, and then he said, whiskey, what is more strong, you or me? I'm more strong. And then he got a dish, a, the Italian dish with linguine and clams. And he looked at linguine and clams and says, linguine and clams, who is more strong, you or me? And a little clam from the fettuccine was saying, I am, and I succumb into the temptation. Any of us can face situations in lives. But we need to understand, we are struggling with the same thing. So, is there any hope? Well, yes. Verse 17 says, understanding that we are sinful by nature. So, I am not the one doing wrong. And Paul here is not trying to blame somebody else, like a kid saying, I didn't do it, he did it. Paul is not saying, I didn't do it, sin made me do it. No, he's recognizing exactly what is happening inside him, and we need to be aware of that situation as well, because within us is growing, which is life, someone, something that is pulling us away from God's will. The devil made me do it. That's a common phrase. We blame him for everything. We blame the devil for things that he's not even aware that exist. But we need to start blaming ourselves because internally we have that sin 
that is pulling us, like Paul is saying in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present, but the doing is not. Our flesh is like a structure of a house that has been eaten by termites. You can paint it inside and outside. You can put a new carpet. You can buy new furniture. But you have not fixed the structural problem. It will, will have the problem again. I love that how Tony Evans presents this verse. Tony Evans mentioned, the flesh is like a bad mother-in-law. You can get rid of it. It just keeps coming and coming. I don't know if I'm going to use that in the second service because my wife will be here. <laughs> I'll figure out what to do. So the continuous battle within is what Paul is using in the last verses from 19 to 23. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. But the bad that I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. And he says, I'm happy to concur. I believe that the word of God is perfect. I believe that the law of God is good, but I am not. This tension exists. However, Paul doesn't downplay the seriousness of the spiritual warfare within us. When he's mentioning waging war, he's describing that internal battle that you and I also are battling. So understanding this internal struggle is crucial. It helps us to realize that the battle is a sign of our transformed nature in Christ. We are struggling because we now know that we have a new nature that is spiritual in Christ. And because of that, we can see that reality. Before, we have only the sinful nature, so we were doing as we pleased. But now we are facing that struggle. And the final thing is, number three, the solution we find. The solution we find. In the last two verses, he is confronting our spiritual wretchedness. That's an interesting word that he used here. He says, wretched man that I am. It's interesting that he used that word that means miserable, that means uh, afflicted with the weight of a burden as a slave. That what the word wretched means. The only time that I use the, that I, that I um, use or hear about the word wretched is when we sing the Amazing Grace hymn. A wretch like me. And that's very interesting because the person who composed that hymn was a slave trader. He understood the language. And this is the imagery. A person who is rich is somebody who is weighed down with this slavery, with the, with the burden of a slavery, a slave to sin. C.S. Lewis put it this way. No man knows how bad he is until he has been tired and, and he has been tried to do good. No man knows how bad he is until he is trying to be good. And that's true. That's a struggle. So he is looking for deliverance. He is asking this question, who will set me free from this body of this death? That's a great question. The realization is essential. The freedom is not coming from me, from inside me. Chapter 7 is, how can I be 
pleasing to God, accepted to God in my own terms. There is no way. Then who can help me? He's asking the question. And this is a great metaphor because body of this death, Paul is thinking about something that happened back in the day in his time. It's a grotesque picture. In his day, a convicted murderer might was punished by being tied up with a corpse of the victim. They attached the corpse of the victim that he killed in front of him, in his face, face to face, body to body. So they time up. He is condemned to live the rest of his life with that cadaver in front of him, with that corpse. Imagine. He's not dying because not only is carrying that dead body, it's because the decay of the dead body is affecting him. You know, it's infecting him. And suddenly, he will die because of the disease of that cadaver. This is the imagery. Who can help me from this body of death that I'm carrying? And, but he's referring to the sin that is within us. So this is an interesting picture. No program can help you, brother and sister. No plan. No experience. Not even an exorcism can help you. The inner healing can help you. A psychiatric person cannot help you. A psychic cannot help you. Not even reading the Bible seven days a day, a week. Not even fasting and praying can help you. Believe me, I'm trying. Always remember that the victory doesn't come from what? But from whom? That's what he's asking. Who can deliver me? No, what can deliver me? And we continue trying to do, find the what. What can I do? Show me. How do you do it? How, how do you do it to lose that weight? Well, diet and exercise. No, no, no. Tell me. What is the pill? No. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is thanks to Jesus. He is the only one. He is the answer. He is the only one who can deliver me from this. Verse 25, thanks to be, be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. So the sinner must look beyond himself to the cross to be cleansed from sin. That is justification. But the believer must look to the same cross to remember who, is, who he is in Christ. That is the power of sanctification. And that is a process. A process that will last the remaining days that we have on this earth. So we don't look to the cross to be cleansed. We look to the cross to identify ourselves to the ones who was on the cross and died for our sins. So we conclude this journey on verses 14 to 25. Remember about this main idea. The struggle is real, but so is our Savior. Remember the dog with the leash? This image vividly encapsulates the internal battle that we face as believers. A constant tension between the desire to follow God and our human inability to do so consistently, daily. But the good news is that chapter 7, even though it's showing us that not even the law can help us in that way, it's just revealed to that how bad we are, is pointing to the next chapter for the next week, which is chapter 8, telling us that there is good news. Because thanks to God and His Holy Spirit, there is a solution to this problem. If Jesus died and rose again to set us free, why we continue in sin? The answer is 
Because it's not the absence of the struggle, but it's the presence of our Savior within that struggle. And that's the best way to conclude this sermon. What action points can you take for you? Four. First, recognize that there is a struggle within you. Acknowledge the reality of the spiritual battle within you. Don't be disheartened by it. Rather, see, see it as part of your growth in Christ. Number two, rely on the Spirit. Instead of relying on your own strength, lean on the Holy Spirit. Invite Him into every area of your life to empower you and guide you. That's what we call the Spirit to fill us. We are not asking God to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That happened once, and that was enough. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when we became believers and family of God. But the filling of the Holy Spirit has to happen constantly. Filling of the Holy Spirit is mean less control of my own life and more control of Him. Next Sunday, we, by God's grace, are going to have some baptisms here. So you can see what water baptism points out about the spiritual baptism, which is identification with the ones who was dead and rose again for our, for our sins and for our love to us. Number three, rest in Christ's victory. Remember that Christ has already won the ultimate victory over sin and death. So stand firm in that victory as you face daily challenges. And lastly, reflect, but also respond. Regularly, take time to reflect on your actions and your thoughts. When you recognize sins, confess it immediately. No, don't hover it. Confess it and turn away from it, seeking God's guidance to do better. I'm going to prepare for you to sing a beautiful song. This final song, In Christ Alone, I know it's going to resonate with the truth that we just learned this morning. This song celebrates the victory Jesus secured for us through the death and resurrection. This song celebrates that victory. And as we sing these words, let's remember the hope that we have in the power that we got in Jesus. Please stand. Stand because we're going to sing this song as a tribute, as a hope that stands firm, even in the midst of the struggles. Because in Christ alone, we find power to overcome the sin and the assurance of this constant presence in our lives. Only in Christ, in Christ alone.